It is a pleasure for us to be here, and uh, as Aaron's already said, the main reason to say that we've been serving for X number of years uh, is to be able to follow that up by saying thank you so much to this church, because for all of those years, uh, this church has supported us. As you've given to the conference, uh, part of that money has been given to us. There's people here uh, I do recognize that have been praying for us, have been encouraging us, and basically, we can't do what we do without churches like your church that hold the robes, that support and encourage. So if you hear nothing else today, uh, hear very, very clearly that we've been able to do what we've done by God's grace, first of all. But secondly, from churches like this that have supported us, encouraged us through the, through the years. I like, I don't know, yes it is. Psalms, words for today. If you ask 99 Christians out of 100, what's your favorite book in the Bible, what are they gonna respond? One of the four gospels, probably. After that, books in the Old Testament because they talk more about Christ and Christ is so central to what we're doing. But if you, if you say, okay, forget the New Testament. What's your favorite book in the Old Testament? Responses would be varied, but Psalms should make that list because Psalms are words for today. Psalms basically tell us how we can respond to God, to all that he's done for us. When I was growing up a lot of years ago now, uh, we had hymn books. The Psalms are the hymn book, the Jewish people. I suppose today we've got contemporary Christian courses in that book, Psalms, but the Psalms tell us how to respond to God. And I was excited uh, when Aaron told me that you were working through Psalms and he gave me the list, so I'd make sure not to choose something that he had chosen, and then I would be in trouble because I'm sure he does an excellent job of preaching. But I, I have two Psalms. One of them is so short that it's in your bulletin, as is. And then uh, we'll, go to, we'll go to the second psalm. But the first one uh, is Psalm 131. And it's a psalm you may not know super well, but it's a psalm that expresses what our attitude ought to be in life towards God and towards life in general. And it's a psalm that most of us struggle to live day to day because there's so many pressures, there's so many concerns, there's so much stuff that we want to fix. We, it's obviously broken. Uh, but Psalm 131 just gives a, really just a word picture of what life in Christ ought to be all about. And this is what it says. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, or if you prefer we, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Let's pray. Dear God, so much of life uh, 
is trying to comprehend some of what goes on swirling around us from day to day. Uh, how do we respond to that? How do we make you known in all of that? And yet when everything's said and done, one of the very best ways to make you known is to live the reality of this psalm, particularly the second verse. To have a stilled and quieted soul before you in front of a world for which life is anything but stilled and quieted is a powerful, powerful testimony. So help us this morning to, to catch the vision of this psalm, the implications, and to realize if we can celebrate our life with you, our relationship with you in this way, then our light burns most brightly to a dark world around us who needs the light so desperately. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The mothers of this congregation could, could preach this psalm better than I could. Obviously, I've not breastfed very many children, but I've watched my wife breastfeed our two children. And the first time I saw that, I was in shock. I was like, you little rascals, calm down and just receive what Mary wants to give to you. But before a child is weaned, all of the food comes from those breasts. And so as soon as the mother lifts up that child, the child starts to squirm, child starts to squeal, complain, uh, puts, her, puts their lips to that breast and take the milk. And if it doesn't seem to come fast enough, then they get angry. Uh, sometimes they even bite. Uh, it's not a picture of stilled and quieted. It's a picture of chaos because those little kids just want food and they get their food from their mom. But when a child is weaned, it's totally different. Mary could take Sarah and Micah in her arms after they had gone from the breast to other forms of feeding. And the kids aren't looking for that. They're not anxious for that. They just lay quiet still. And Mary could hold our children much better than I could hold our children after this took place. So as you look at this psalm, uh, very, very straightforward and very, very simple. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me but I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child, I am content, it says in the New International Version. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The question is, how do you live this kind of life and the chaos and the struggles and the difficulty of our world? How can you live like a weaned child with his mother? And the best answer I can give you to that question is the second Psalm we're going to look at that's already been read, Psalm 46. So if you'd like to, just turn there if you have your scripture. And we're going to look and see what it says here. Psalm 46 is one of the most important Psalms in the history of the Protestant church, 
but probably not for the reason that you think it is. And we'll get to that. But as you look at this psalm, it's very, very easy to break it down. You notice that there's a verse that repeats twice. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Very same verse in 13. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And basically what we have are two word pictures and then that chorus, verse 7. Two commandments, and then that chorus. And if you can capture the flow of this psalm, it's the answer to how you live Psalm 131 so that people can see that you have a personal relationship with God and see that that is your rock, that is your fortress. What's the psalmist talking about in verses 1 through 3? It's first division. Some commentators say it's talking about the greatest natural disasters, earthquakes and floods and tsunamis and all that type of stuff. Other commentators say what he's really talking about, he's looking backwards and he's trying to describe creation out of chaos. And I like that, I like that idea and I, I think People that see it in that way are correct because what he wants to communicate to us here is the idea uh, that we can trust. We can trust God. And we know that from all that's going on in the past. Look at the, just the first three verses with me. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Can you see some of the creation in those last two verses? From absolute chaos, God begins to bring order. The waters are separated. Land appear, if you will, the mountain surge. Waters have their border, which they cannot cross. And then you have the other part of creation. As you look back as a believer, you ought to be able to say easily, testify easily, God is our refuge. He's done that from times gone past. In the next three verses, verses four to six, we have here a contrast. And so understand the contrast that's here. You find some peace and quietness, but you also hear a lot about wars and rumors of wars. And it's the contrast that the psalmist is trying to communicate because in the present, that's what our life looks like. You're going along and life is smooth. It's easy. It makes sense. All of a sudden, something happens and the world just like that becomes very chaotic. I could give you a good illustration, it's a little hard. But last weekend, I traveled down to Kentucky by myself to see my mom, she's 92 years old, and she's just had COVID a second time. And she was in a rehab, hoping to get back home. And we spent the weekend together and I picked up a new pair of hearing aids on Monday and I came back home. But yesterday, as we were driving here, we got a message from my younger brother, which is rare, 
And he said, call when you can. So we called and found out that mom this past week had a bladder infection, which is a minor thing. But in her condition, her age, she was back in ICU, really struggling just to live. And David communicated to me that on two days ago, Friday, she said, you know, I've struggled with this. I've worked it as best I can. I'm just not going to do any longer. I've got medicines, but I'm not going to take them. I can eat and drink, but I'm not going to do very much of that. It's time for me to go from this world and head home. And she is a Christian, a strong Christian. But you can imagine the change in my temperament in 30 minutes that it took to respond to my brother, hear his take on it, call my older brother, hear his take on it, and realize that the mom I just spent the past weekend with won't be here a whole lot longer. And she's going to a better place. It's not a tragedy. It's a celebration. But that's kind of the way the world works. You go along and everything seems to be going so well. And then there's that phone call or that illness or that accident or that death or that war. And you go from peace, tranquility, to total chaos. And that's what you see in these next four verses. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Verse sounds a whole lot like Genesis. There's a river in the garden. Sounds a lot more like Ezekiel 47, where the prophet talks about the new Jerusalem. Sounds an awfully lot like Revelation 22. And in each of those cases, there's this special place, and there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. But then in the meantime, verse 6, nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, and the earth melts. And so you, when you, as you look at those verses, uh, you recognize that God is our help. Present tense. Whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever you're facing, if you will just turn to the God that you've come to know, he can be for you that help. And you see the tremendous contrast between verses 4 and 5 and 6. So we've got past tense, God is our refuge. Present tense, God is our help. And then this chorus, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And here the psalmist is crying out to the larger community and says, this is the God we serve. This is the God with whom you can take comfort in. This verse, for those of you that are old enough to have sang hymns, there is a hymn that you will recognize immediately comes from this verse. And it's the reason why this psalm is one of the most, or this psalm is one of the most important for all the Protestant church. And it's for the fact that Martin Luther, as he studied this psalm, he wrote this hymn. 
mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And that word above all earthly power, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And as Martin Luther contemplated this hymn, particularly these first six verses in that chorus, that was his take on life. And God is indeed our mighty fortress. If you're going to live the reality of Psalm 131, you have to understand, looking backwards, that God has been your refuge in ways you can't even begin to enumerate. You also have to look at the present and realize that God is your help. And then in the remainder of this psalm, there's two commands. And then that course is going to happen again. And I want to read from you just to help explain these because uh, Eugene Peterson does a, a better job of it than I can do. Uh, if you know the name Eugene Peterson, you probably know that name because of the message, the paraphrase that he's, he's written. And if you've never read that paraphrase, one of the very best things you can do in your life with Christ is to buy the message that's the name of his paraphrase. Read your version, whatever version it is, and then read how Peterson translates that and brings it into our day. It'll be one of the most powerful experiences of looking at God's word that you'll ever embrace. But Peterson also has a very unique take on Psalms like this one and a unique take on just life, life in general, the condition of the church today in America and how that might be remedied. And the book I'm living from is entitled Living the Message. And again, the message is his paraphrase of the word of God. But this is what he writes. Two commands direct us away from the small-minded world of self-help to the large world of God's help. And of course, that's the whole point of Psalm 131. My eyes are not proud, or excuse me, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I'm not focused on me, 
I'm resting in you. And so he says again, two commands direct us from a small-minded world of self-help to a large world of God's help. First, come, behold the works of the Lord. And your outline then, come and see or come and behold. Take a long, scrutinizing look at what God is doing. This requires patient attentiveness and energetic concentration. Everybody else is noisier than God. The headlines and neon lights and amplifying systems of the world announce human works. But what of God's works? They are unadvertised, but also inescapable if we simply look. They're everywhere. They are marvelous. But God has no public relations agency. He mounts no publicity campaign campaign to get our attention. He simply invites us to look. Prayer is looking at the works of God. So this first command, again, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought to the earth. He makes war cease to, to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God reigns in two words. God is sovereign even over the chaos of our world. Come and see the works of the Lord. Recognize what he's doing all around you. We think we've got such a, a take on the world and Christianity. If I ask you today, what's the fastest growing national church in the whole world? What's the answer? The church in Iran. And it's not even close. What's the second fastest national church in the world? The answer is Afghanistan. Even in spite of the pullout and all the struggle. The church grows faster in those two countries than anywhere else in the whole world. That's a part of the works of God. I told the, the group this morning, uh, in the last, the world has approximately, I think it's, I hope it's, I'm right, 6.7 billion people. It's more than that now. In the past 25 years, 1% of that, so that's 670 million people, have come to Christ in difficult countries like Afghanistan, uh, Iran, Pakistan, through Discovery Bible Studies. Come and see the works of the Lord. That's the first command. Second command, he says, be still and know that I am God. So here the second to do is be still and know I think in the material I sent, I said, be still and listen, because I was working through a different version. Uh, a celebration point for us was a week ago, this past Friday, not yesterday, but, or two days ago, but week before, we finally got all of our things from Spain. They told us they would be there in about 25 to 30 days. It was about five months. And in that, all those boxes is the Bible I'm reading from this morning, but it's not the Bible I prepared the outline from. So your outline probably says, be still and listen. This says, be still and know that I am God. Again, listen to what Peterson says. This, the second command is, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Quit rushing through the streets long enough to become aware that there is 
more to life than your little self-help enterprises. When we are noisy and when we are hurried, we are incapable of intimacy, deep, complex, personal relationships, and that's plural. That's not just with God, that's with other people. And that may be the best sentence in this entry, so I'll read it one more time. When we are noisy and when we are hurried, we are incapable of intimacy, deep, complex, personal relationships. If God is the living center of redemption, it is essential that we be in touch with and responsive to that, hit, that personal will. If God has a will for this world and we want to be in on it, we must be still long enough to find out what it is. For we certainly are not going to learn about it by watching the evening news. And Baron von Hugel, who had wise word on most subjects, had this saying, nothing was ever accomplished in a stampede. And for most of our, us, our lives look more like a stampede than that word picture in Psalm 131. So be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And in this day, in countries that we see as totally antagonistic to Christ and Christianity, it's coming true. And he closes by saying again in this psalm, that chorus once again, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So if you want to live the reality of Psalm 131, look back in your life, the life of your parents, your grandparents, if you were fortunate enough to know them and recognize that over and over and over and over again, God is our refuge. You need that truth when chaos breaks into your world. Next, look in the present. Contrast what God extends to us and what the world tries to shove down our throats and understand that God is our help present tense. And then think about these two commands. Come and see the works of the Lord. Pay attention to what God is doing in the world. Pay attention to what God is doing in this church. Understand you just had a baptismal class, but then you just had another person after that class come and say, I think I'd like to be baptized. So now you're going to have that class, Aaron's going to lead it, and you'll celebrate another baptism. And maybe more than one by the time the service gets here. So you look, come and see the works of the Lord. And most importantly of all, I think, is the second command. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and he is being exalted. I will be exalted in the earth. And in that course, just an encouragement to all of us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If I can find it here quickly. Uh, 
I'd like to close with, a, with another hymn. I don't find it, I'm going to be frustrated. We'll get there. I'll read the hymn to you really as a prayer, and I think it encapsulates what Psalm 131 says as well as Psalm 46. And I'm going to change one word. It appears multiple times, but otherwise I'll read it just like uh, we've sang it for years and years uh, and years. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning in the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning in the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning in the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning in the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Leaning in the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning in the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning in the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning in the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning in the everlasting arms. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for Psalm 131. It invites us into a, a quality of relationship that I would rather imagine most of us struggle to maintain. Because there are so many intrusions in life. There are so many unexpected phone calls. There are so many tragedies and illnesses. And suddenly, life just seems to spin out of control. And when that happens... How important it is to remember the word picture in Psalm 131. My eyes are not haughty. My heart is not proud. I do not concern myself with things too great or wondrous for me. But like a steeled, like a winged child with his mother, my stove is steeled like a winged child. And we lean in the everlasting arms. And we recognize that you are indeed our refuge. You are indeed our help. And as we look to the future, we have a hope that's unmistakable. That you will show up in the same kinds of ways as we continue on. So help us just to put a bookmark, maybe memorize these three little verses in Psalm 131. Recognize that's the life that you extend to each of us as your children. You want us to be with you in your presence like a weaned child with his mother. And as we think through Psalm 46, we understand how to live that life. May we reaffirm to one another and to you 
that you are a refuge. May we reaffirm to ourselves and to others, you are our help. As we look to the future, even when we're not sure what all is going to take place, may we reaffirm as well that you are hope. Because that's the kind of God we serve. You are for each of us a mighty fortress. In God's name.